Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio. Uh, today, David Morrison and I discuss on Dispatches from the Verge um, the idea of the spiritual or religious ego, and we refer to it as the inner Pharisee, and how that can, uh, you can either evolve away from that and become more open-minded to spiritual principles or uh, sometimes move in the fanatical direction and find uh, a group that supports uh, certain ideas uh, and become speaking from a righteous uh, mountaintop. But before we get into that, thank you to Diego at Recording Moving Studios. He does all the editing and sound engineering. Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums, which you hear in the background. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, check out theruin.com. And if you're interested in hearing other episodes, drcrpod.com, as well as any other podcatcher that you might have found this episode on. If you enjoy what you hear, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us out. We appreciate you, and let's get into it. Hello, and you're back. Good afternoon. To Desert Rain Community Radio podcast. Dispatches from The Verge, how are you, Mr. Morrison? I am feeling copacetic. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, sir. Uh, we're up and running. We have electricity. We have a sunny, a sunny day. The world is at war. The world <laughs> is at war. That, uh, that happened this week. And um, today we're going to, so I'm not sure when this will air, sometime in March, most likely. But we want to we delve into sort of two, two sides of the same coin, I think I would say, from the, the quick conversation we had beforehand. But the first, sort of the first part of this uh, conversation, we'll be looking at the inner Pharisee. Where um, our our personal hypocrisies, um, where we're trying to project what we think is quote unquote right and wrong onto someone else, um, maybe this idea of like being stubborn, like we've made up our mind and we're not even presenting new, getting new facts or information, we're not willing to sort of come off that point, um, and then on the other side of that is kind of looking at how that evolves into groups. Yeah. So fanaticism versus faith or what, what was the other two delusion versus vision. Okay. Actual vision. Yeah. Um, so I know you mentioned that the, about the gospel reading tomorrow. So maybe we can, you can start there kind of give, give that reading and we'll, we'll roll into the, the conversation from there sounds good. We should probably explain what a Pharisee is. A lot of people. Oh, don't know yeah, that's that actually that's actually probably a better place yeah. to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. So that's that's a metaphor. That's an inside joke for people that read the Christian scriptures. Uh, if you read the four Gospels in particular, you know what we're talking about. But if not, then an inner the Pharisees were a religious group of. Jewish leaders in the first century in Palestine who uh, basically went up against Jesus or Jesus went up against them uh, because he was, he in their mind, was flaunting the rules of righteousness mm. and holiness. Um, historically, though, they were kind of the liberals. You know, they're not, we, we tend to cast them as the bad guys, right. so to speak, but, but they were... They were progressive. They were mm. basically saying the future of Judaism is not in the temple. It can't be in the temple system. It has to be in the Torah. Okay. And the Torah can be copied and sent, you know, and, and, Dis- and flexible enough to be to go around the world. Yeah. And so they, you know, so they were forward thinking so, people, who, you know. Um, and not to change the subject too much, but who who would have been the conserv who would have been their sort of conservative counterparts? At the time, uh, conservative in the sense of this, we want to maintain the status quo. Right, would be uh, 
the Herodians. Okay. Uh, they're the, the temple, the ones in charge of the temple, and they had temporal power. Okay. They were the puppet government of the of the uh, Roman right. Empire, and so they would be trying to maintain the status quo, keep peace at all costs with the Roman Empire. Okay. So that you know, peace and safety at any cost, kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, uh, so back to the Pharisees, or yeah. So, so it's so it's not to pick on a specific group. So another definition of what we're talking about is your your everyone has this a religious ego or an intellectual ego uh this tendency in our brains to want to feel that we're right and everyone else is wrong uh this strong addiction to self-righteousness uh feeling better than others positioning ourselves to feel better than anybody else uh and that's a human issue, and well, so it's not particular to the the you know the early church or the right. the first century Judaism or anything like that. So we so when I say inner Pharisee, I just that's what we're talking about because yeah. Jesus said, "Don't be like them." Yeah. Well, and I think too the one of the things that Rohr Richard Rohr points out is this idea of like addicted to our own thinking. Yes, exactly. And I think that kind of falls into this idea. And I, you know, you talked about the spiritual ego. Um, but I think just the ego, right? Like I don't right. even think you have to put necessarily put um, a qualifier on it, right? Yeah, maybe a better way to say is we we all have an e- most people have an ego, a strong ego. Not not everyone. Some people have a damaged damaged ego. That's another story for you know for psychoanalysts to yeah, deal with. Right. But but you know under quote unquote normal circumstances we have this this sense of self and self-righteousness. But if you pour religion onto it, it, it's so, so the ego itself is a flame and religion is, is a, is gasoline. Yeah. And and it it doesn't have to be, and it doesn't even necessarily, you know, it it could be the, the gasoline um, from the, the woke religion, gasoline from the Christian religion, gasoline from, you know, uh, Whatever the you know these groups online that have become, yeah. they're not looked at as religions, but they're a replacement for religions because yeah. they're you know it's how people are connecting. Yeah, new age spiritualities, yeah. Uh, fitness cults. Yeah, CrossFit. Uh, yeah, they're they're cults. They, yeah, they so, are cults. So anything that that you can use to justify, you know, whatever it is you're doing at the time, and yeah. and we're not saying that fitness is bad. Right, we're no, not saying no. we're not saying that like and religion is, yeah. isn't necessarily bad. It's it's what we do it do with it as an individual, exactly to uh, prop ourselves up, or no, not even that. It's the the self righteous part of it. Yeah, that's where it, that's where it gets sideways. I, you know, and also I would also add the ego is not necessary. I don't personally believe the ego is evil. Well, and that's it's capable of evil. Well, and that's not yeah. one of the best ways I heard it described was I want. I want just enough ego so I don't go walk into oncoming traffic. Yeah. Right? Like the ego keeps us alive. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like a part. It's It needs to be an integrated part of our life. Yeah, exactly. In my opinion. This is yeah. It, obviously, these are David and I's opinions as is every episode. Yeah, from my experience of dealing with my own mm-hmm. stuff and, and yeah, thinking a lot about these things. Reading a lot of books, but not a professional. So yeah. keep so, that in mind. We are not a professional... Uh, <laughs> group and i think it shows we are an amateur <laughs> podcasting service here folks uh and i think we demonstrate that so okay so yeah so that so that when we say pharisee i think we we've kind of laid out what that looks like as far as the yeah. inner pharisee um and so maybe we'll start with the um the read tomorrow's reading tomorrow's gospel reading yeah, so it's it's going to be the Sermon on the Plain and the Gospel of Luke, and it begins with the verse that most people are are probably familiar with in the Western world, which is Jesus' teaching, uh, in which he says, uh, why, why do you try to take the speck out of uh, your friend's eye when you have a freaking log in your own eye? Okay, so that's the first part of the parable. Then it contradicts itself because it's paradoxical. And it says, when you remove uh, the obstacle in your own eye, then you can help others. 
but it, but the and then you know and then it goes on and and so with other pithy sayings. Uh, but when are you really done with the speck in your eye? Mm. You, you see. At what point can someone say, well, I have removed, I see clearly and I'm enlightened. My eyes I, are pure. I'm a messenger from God. You know, at what point can you really say that? So well, that I think we talked help about others, it. So. We talked about it on the prayer episode last week, or that was led. Well, I'm messing up the timing. Anyways, right. the prayer episode that we did, the Pathways to Presence. Yes. Uh, we talked about that idea of a pure heart. So in oh, this yeah, context, yeah, yeah. it would be the pure eye. Right. I see clearly. <laughs> I'm enlightened. That kind of thing. So, so it's yeah. So it's a it puts you in a a losing position, so mm -hmm. to speak. It doesn't make you a winner because you're always dealing with the log in your own eye. Uh, well, in the, in in the recovery world, we have a little saying. Well, it's not a saying. It comes out of the the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. Yeah, exactly. Basically talking like, if you haven't done the step work, exactly, you can't really take another person through this. People try. I've seen right, people try. Right. But it's like, you kind of have to have someone guide you through it. Yeah. Um, and not, you know, and the same, it's the same thing though. But just because you've gone through the steps doesn't mean you're the all-knowing, yeah. all-seeing recovery master, right? Like, there's still work to be done. Yeah. And that's the dark side of any awakening. So you get mm. born again. In the Christian context, you get converted, or you or you uh, awaken to sobriety in the recovery world, or whichever it is. And and the dark side of it is uh, the light side is it's an obviously amazing experience, uh, and it does feel like you see. You know, I was once blind, and now I see, yeah. but you don't see all. <laughs> well, I think and there's so, something to be spoken to about. Oh, the. Uh, the progress. Exactly. Right? Like the, you, you know, you get these awakening moments and, and in my, my experience, they continue to happen. Yeah. It's like an, a, you know, the metaphor I think is the onion being peeled, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't think you ever get to the center of the onion. Like life yeah. is, you know, the temporary nature of life makes that impossible. Yeah. Ken Wilber has a, has a pretty, uh, Succinct way of saying it, okay. the process that we're talking about here. You wake up, and we, you know, and, and the how you wake up and all that to your life, that's very mysterious. Right. So you wake up, then there's a process of cleaning up. There is some basic cleanup you can do right. with your life. I, I, I no longer drink. I no longer uh, uh, walk into on, oncoming traffic <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> willingly. Uh, I no longer fist fight people. Yeah, I don't wake up in strange store. places anymore. Or maybe I once a week now instead of you know seven right. times. Uh, so you clean it. There's some cleaning up to do, uh, and then you uh, and then you show up. You show up to the world. You show up to your life. You show up to what's what's happening. Uh, there might have been a fourth step in there, but I'm still on the waking up. So right. <laughs> well, and I think too. And and so, I, it's probably not. You know, or may, maybe you have a personal example of that idea of that that inner Pharisee. Um, oh yeah, coming coming through. You know, I was going to ask, basically, ask for an example that you've seen it. You know, in your pastoring years, which yeah, probably not a good idea to share someone else's <laughs> inner no, Pharisee. Yeah, no, but I'll but share my but own. yeah, yeah. But maybe there's there's an example. Um, from your early days of of uh, coming up through the you know the Christian yeah. ring, so to speak. Well, no, I, my own journey. I began that way, wanting God to like me, wanting God, mm. wanting to get some sort of favor with God. Uh, so you have to live this what you think or what uh, authorities around you tell you is a holy life. Okay. So yeah, so I go to mass. Uh, so that I would not incur a mortal sin on my soul <laughs> and then die and miss purgatory altogether. Uh, go to hell, go directly to hell, do not pass go, do, do not, not collect, collect $200. $200. Uh, fast and pray and, and uh, try to be nice, that kind of stuff. And, um, and then once you achieve some of that, then you think you're better. Mm. 
See, it's it's the trap. It's the trap of of self righteousness, and so right. so then you're you're in a worse place than you were, and that's that's what Jesus is basically saying about the Pharisees. You're in a worse place, mm-hmm. even though you do all these things, uh, but you you've sacrificed the real thing, the heart of the matter, mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, loving one another, um, which is messy, which requires you to bend rules often. Uh, to you know, love is not a, uh, a, a an organized thing. You know, it's a it's an unplanned thing, and it's it's a wild thing. It's chaotic. It's messy. Uh, and because of that, you're going to get it wrong too at times. Yeah, you're going to fail forward yeah. every time. Yeah. yeah, and so you're always going to be in a state of of loss in that sense. And and so so yeah. So so then there's other. So in the charismatic world. There's the let me let me back up in the in the Catholic world it was which sacraments have you received so those are your merit badges right yeah, of yeah righteousness yeah. right and, it, and I'm, even, not, I'm not putting down the sacraments I think they're important yeah but it does become that into the righteous mind it becomes uh, yeah I've got my I got my baptism so I'm good got that original sin wiped away got uh, the gold got star my on the first communion so I, I got the body and the blood. Uh, now I got my confirmation. I'm confirmed in this shit, uh, you know. And and then it's just you know, uh, I got married properly in the church. In I the remember church. my poor parents had been married for years, three children, but it wasn't legit. So when I was about eleven or twelve, they finally had the proper really Roman rites of merit marital uh, sacrament. Interesting. I had no idea, and that was important to them and all right. that. But right, right, so right. I'm. I'm saying it to expose that the, how the religious mind works. So, so there's the merit badge system of the sacraments. And then in the charismatic world, it, it kind of gets shifted to a merit badge system of experiences. So have you been born again? Check. Have you uh, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the additional gift of speaking in tongues? <laughs> Check. Have you been used to heal the sick? Check. Have you, do, you, uh, prophes- do you operate in the gifts of the Spirit? Prophecy, uh, healing, exhortation. Uh, the, have you read the entire Bible? Have you fasted? Have you? So it becomes, yeah. you know, these these merit. And again, those activities are not. You, you don't avoid them so that because that's the other thing. Well, I'm not going to do any of those things. Uh, I'm not going to fast at all ever because that'll turn me into a a righteous prick. Uh, no, it'll make you a hungry bastard. Yeah. For a while, but you push make, through. Make you hangry, as they yeah. say. Yeah, <laughs> and I think we're going to talk about it at some point. But it's again, it's tricky because Jesus, or at least the early church, put the words in Jesus' mouth on his teaching on fasting, and I'm, I use that as an example for any spiritual yeah. discipline or practice. Uh, he doesn't say don't do it, and he doesn't say you must do it. Mm. He just says when you do it, and so so it's kind of that's that's how you have to to navigate through these things. And it's very difficult. It's a lifelong process of removing specks and logs from your own eye. Well, and I think too, for myself, that self-righteous part is part of the process of learning the spiritual way of life. Yeah. Um, Because every, you know, if we go with fasting, um, my early, and I, you know, I, I don't, I haven't been doing it long, you know, a handful of years. But there was a self-righteousness around my fasting, even if it was just internalized. Even if I wasn't saying it to yeah. other people, I was, there was times where I was thinking and feeling it, you know, and being, and also having to make peace with that. Like, yeah, that's okay. You're human. That's okay. Yeah. Like, we judge people. That's okay. Yeah. It's like, but do you stay there? You know, I think that's one of the, the key points for today's conversation is like, do you stay in those places of self-righteousness to, as the example you just gave it, to, to get your um, your grade, you know, your, your report card yeah. filled out properly or, or yeah. you know, extensively or whatever it might be? And it's also I can validate myself. It's also oh, I can, okay. you know, I'm better than these people, you know. And, it's, and it goes back to the parable that Jesus told, right, of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you know, praying together. Mm. And the tax collector is able to say, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like this guy. <laughs> I do this. I do that. And, and he's saying, this is who we are. This yeah. is, 
uh, you know, this is this is what we have to contend with on, on the journey. So, um, and so the question that came to mind, and, and you, I'm going to pose it one way, but if you want to use the examples you already used, whether it's the sacraments or the other things in the uh, like fasting and things like that, but so the the question that came to my mind was like the Ten Commandments, right? There's the letter of the law for the Ten Commandments, right? That's black and white. You know, you can yeah. very easily see. Which you know, is not black and white because no one knows if there's 10, 11, <laughs> yeah, 9. That's a good point. He dropped some. <laughs> which which text are you Are you looking at numbers or Exodus? Which so ones, that. You know, yeah. which ones were that were never read because yeah. they were, you know, I put quotation marks never Unless read. Unless you think the Bible can give you all the answers, yeah. Um, so there, you know, so there's the somewhat letter of the law, right? And then there's this... Uh, spirit of the law yeah. or essence of the yeah. law. And and maybe could you spend a few minutes kind of hashing like how how do you navigate that, you know, in in, in yeah. the religious world, right? Yeah, so that's you're you're talking about most of St. Paul's letters mm-hmm. called the epistles in the Christian scriptures. He's he's dealing with that issue in his own life and in the problem of the early church which was probably the biggest problem they had as a, you know, as a small growing community of faith in different right. locations Okay, was that you had the essential group uh, or not essential, but the, the, uh, the initial group, which were uh, uh, practicing Jews and ethnic Jews. Okay. Who became messianic Jews following the, what they called the way with the Jesus way, if you will. And, mm. And so then they began to invite, or maybe they invited themselves, but the outsiders, the Gentile, mm. the Gentiles began to, to uh, accept this, this way and join this, you know, this, this group of people. Right. Well, well, these Gentiles never had, they didn't keep the Sabbath. They didn't, they didn't, the uh, diet restrictions. They didn't follow the kosher dietary laws. They're eating all kinds of uh, abhorrent things to, to good, uh, you know, good Jewish boys and girls. The quote unquote uh, uh, wet markets of the first century. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, they're eating processed food. <laughs> oh my God, they're eating meat. You know, so you, you see where how it plays out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How food is that? We'll talk about that on the fasting one, I guess. Yeah. The weirdness that we all put into food is amazing. Yeah. But anyway. Um, and so, yeah, so are they obligated now to follow mm. those laws? And so that's, and so Paul is trying to, to resolve that in these communities. Um, you know, and then it gets even weirder because they were also going to uh, pagan shrines and temples and, uh, and bringing sacrificed, uh, you know, meat and food and coins and, you know, trinkets or whatever to, to the, uh, Shrines of Athena and Zeus, you know, and uh, and so that was even, you know, so idolatry. That's a huge yeah. taboo that's a big time amongst uh, you know Jewish communities. Uh, so, so what should their behavior be? And so, so you have this conversation, and that's probably what the early church is trying to resolve. That's Luke's gospel is all about that, trying to resolve the Gentile Jewish problem. Uh, so why do you take this? Why do you want to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own eye? Yeah. Uh, the the beginning of the letter of Romans completely is talking about that uh, because he had a because in the Roman church, in other words, the the group of Christians uh, that gathered in Rome in the first century, uh, they were a mix of people with Jewish backgrounds and people with non-Jewish, Gentile, pagan mm-hmm. backgrounds. But they're coming together for what for they Christ. call love feasts and, yeah, and singing of hymns and prayer. Uh, and, and so in the, in the middle of the, the geopolitical problems, the emperor, I forget, I think it was Tiberius, I don't remember which one, he banned all Jews from the city of Rome. Really? Yes. And so... He, so they were removed in hopes of stopping Christianity. Or no, it was, it was of... other issues. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. it was. It was. 
you know, it's, it's, it's the history of anti-Semitism. Right, you know, right, you look right. It it's up, just, just a continue, yeah. continuation. Yeah. There are several Wikipedia articles on the history of anti-Semitism, and, and, and it has to be divided up from ancient world to yeah. the modern to day. To yeah. 2022. Yeah. Right. And so, 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 yeah, so, the, so all of a sudden these Jewish believers in the way of Jesus were removed, physically removed from the city of Rome. And I think the ban lasted over a decade. Oh, wow. And then it was released. Probably, the I think the emperor died, and the next one just let it. So the Jews returned to Rome, and these, these uh, for lack of a better term, Christian Jews uh, returned. Well, these Gentiles had been meeting all this time. Right, right, right. Continuing. Exactly. The, yeah, right. And it's a Gentile church almost exclusively at this point. And so now they, they're trying to join it together. And the book of Romans is trying to... To shuffle them back exactly, together. Exactly. Yeah. Try to get them together to build real community again. So I forgot why we got off on that. So, so yeah. So, so that's why he gets into, yes, there's the letter of the law, but we're about the spirit and the heart of the matter. Uh, so, for example... Part of the letter of the law would be uh, a Jewish man should not sit and talk with a woman by themselves. That's that's a Jewish, maybe not a, a specific law, but it's a it's a, a definitely a code. Yeah, in the first century, and and in some Jewish circles today, the separation of the genders, uh, the sexes uh, that way. <laughs> I I went. I didn't know that. I was in college, and I, I can't. I don't want to get it wrong. But someone had invited me to their church. It was a Christian church, so it's mm-hmm. not it's not a Jewish thing. But or in this in this context, and the sexes were were separated. Wow. Yeah. The women were on one side, and the yeah. the men were on the other. And I I was totally confused. I thought it was just like the way it sat at, before church started or something, and then we would like yeah mix together, you know, because this would have been I don't know 2011, 20, you know. Right. It was re- it was very recent. And so here Anyways. Have, yeah, so here you have the Gospel of John depicting Jesus at, at a well in the middle of a territory where they shouldn't go. Good Jewish boys uh, do not go to Samaria. Right. And here, he, here they are traveling in the wilderness of Samaria. It says the disciples went off to go find food. What does that mean? The subtext of that is they were looking for kosher food. They wanted to eat kosher food. Yeah, right yeah. food, not this tainted food by Sumerians. And then he talks and has an entire conversation with a woman by himself yeah, just him uh, on purpose. And uh, and then he takes it a, a step further. He They decide to stay there. I think it says three days, mm. which means they definitely ate their food right. and slept in their homes. And... Uh, and so, so there's, so he, he's acted in the spirit of the law, and it looks like it's in absolute uh, disobedience, uh, di- disobedience to uh, the the the, st- the letter of the right. law, if you will. So, yeah. and he's doing that constantly. It's almost like, uh, like Richard Rohr said, uh, it's like Jesus uh, laid down in a hammock all week long, and then on the Sabbath decides to get up. <laughs> <laughs> and and goes and heals people and does the work. Does work just to flaunt it. It almost seems right, and so that's what that's what we're dealing with here. Okay, and so sort of as a, as a transition point, one of, one of the things I don't think you and I talked about it with the mics on, but uh, as we were discussing this prior, this idea of needing um, maybe needing is 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 a little. It seems as though to me. Do working on your own inner Pharisee first, and it goes back to the the parable too. Yeah, right. Removing the log from my eye is going to be helpful. Interacting with the the larger world, yeah, the the community at hand, right? Whatever. If it's the person I'm talking to at the grocery store, uh, if it's the you know local civic group that I'm participating in, if it's uh, my coworkers, right? Whatever it is. So kind of before we transition to this group, the group idea, uh, what what are some of the things you would recommend to people? And you kind of laid it out with the Ken Wilber thing, but just things you've seen helpful for people trying to remove the speck or the log from their, their eye. 
Yeah, I, I think, uh, and by the way, we're, it seems like the science on it, we're wired to identify with groups. Yeah. Uh, there, I would reference Jonathan Haidt's work. Yep. Uh, righteous, book, yeah. The Righteous Mind. The Righteous Mind, yeah. Why People Are Divided by Religion and Politics and maybe something else. I don't remember the exact title. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's, he's spent his entire career studying this, this issue that we're, our brains are physically wired to, to feel self-righteous, to feel super-identified with causes, groups, uh, whether it's a country, whether it's an ethnic tribe, whether it's your family. And so, so it seems, in my experience, if you, if you really wanted to deal with that, you have to get out of your own circle. And go meet people that are not like you, that have grown up in a completely different perspective than you have. Uh, that could happen somewhat through educating yourself through documentaries and books, but but even more so actually seeing people and talking to people. So, for example, in high school, I would listen to Christian radio, and they would warn these these uh, uh, televangelists on the radio would warn us about uh, the secular humanists. They're coming to steal your children and eat them. Uh, and, and so I was like, oh, I need to look out for these secular want, humanists. I don't want Where are they? My kids, my and, future kids. Yeah. And they're all a part of the ACLU. Uh, yeah, so you can see how they were, they were uh, uh, grooming little fascists all the way in the 80s on the radio. And, Which is uh, funny because the ACLU, probably most famous court case, was defending KKK people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and televangelists too sometimes. Uh, and so, you know, and so I was very uh, sheltered and I stuck to my own group in, in the neighborhood church and that kind of thing. Well, when I get out to, to uh, on my first teaching job, because in college, uh, the way uh, our college was, it wasn't a thing where you're, put in community where you're living in a dorm. Oh, it was like a and, commuter school still? Yeah, no, UTEP is a, for the locals, yeah. you know, you live at home still usually. You don't live on campus and you go and you, you know, you go to class and you go home. So I didn't interact with a whole lot of people, maybe some professors, but even then the classes are so big, uh, the professors don't really, right. you know, I had maybe one or two. You kind of got have to go out of your way to... Yeah, and I was kind of shy, you know, and and I was in that righteous, you know, don't don't let any other alternative views in, you know. Uh, unfortunately, I chose English literature and American literature as as a uh, as a, as my major, which is a very broad view of the world, right? Well, I was just gonna say. Well, I was about to say, why do you say unfortunate? But unfortunate in the sense, if you're trying to keep yeah, locked yeah, down, if you're, if you're gatekeeping yourself, right. yeah, it's not the. <laughs> It's not the field it's to the go wrong. into. Yeah. You should have gone into accounting, dude. <laughs> yeah, something something practical. Uh, and so, uh, so when I got my first teaching job in my early twenties, and you know, and there's a, a a mixture of different people on a oh. faculty, and the librarian specifically uh, was one of those evil human secularists uh, who was a part of the ACLU, trying to eat kids. Yeah, and so I started <laughs> talking with him. And he's a hell of a great guy. He's, right, and I'm like, what happened here? What? And then I start meeting uh, gay people. And oh my God, they're not trying to molest you. Right, uh, they're the best people They're just ever. normal people. <laughs> just trying to be fabulous. That's right. all they're, you know. And, uh, and so the mythologies that I, the, these, these right-wing uh, conservative religious Pharisee, Christian Pharisee uh, right. ph- uh, mythologies that, that I had of gay people, Completely knocked over by meeting and talking with gay people. It was like, and befriending uh, them. Yeah. Yeah. And so. And I think one thing we should point yeah. out is it didn't happen overnight. No, I'm no. Guessing. This is decades. Yeah, yeah. It happened. And it still is Just, happening. Right, 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 right. Because I still do that. I, I may have mentioned this. Uh, uh, I, was, I was on a, uh, I, I don't want to go into too much detail because right. I want to protect their, yeah. their privacy. But I, you know, I was assigned to a hospice patient mm. in a certain neighborhood. Uh, uh, it, it, kind of a military neighborhood. So I ring the doorbell and it was a, a middle-aged white uh, man answers the door and there's an American funeral flag on the, over the, the, the fireplace. Mm. And so I, I immediately had him pegged. Well, he's an ex-military guy. 
he's going to tell me how he was in Desert Storm, and I have to say thank you for your service, and uh, and I have to, yeah, you know. Right, right, right. right. So I had the whole thing, and he's, he's he probably is a, a far right winger kind of guy, and it turned out he was the farthest opposite of that. <laughs> And and so this inner so there was my inner um, initial Your, inner judgment yeah which which was fairly innocent in that case and then within talking to him for the first twenty minutes it gets completely knocked over right. and then a third voice in me laughing at myself saying right. what the hell do you know you don't know you don't anything know yeah. about anyone and so you need to go in these situations as a blank uh, slate and then and then the patient taught me this because uh, they were in uh, the the last stages of dementia. Mm. So I was a new person to this person every five minutes. Right, I was every, a new person yeah. and the situation Multiple was Multiple times. And so that taught city. me, yeah, wipe those things out, those those assumptions that we have of people uh, and, and, uh, and go in with this open, a contemplative mind rather than a already decided mind about what? them. And I think, so the two things that come up from that that whole thing was one, one of the, the best unintended consequences of joining the military yeah. was this thing you talk about of, you know, so I was on a submarine, so we had to talk to each other. Yeah, It wasn't yeah, like you could, you do your eight hours of work and then you yeah. could go hang out with whatever crew you wanted, yeah. you know, whoever you wanted to. You were stuck with those people and, and I, people I would have never in any other context had really amazing conversations with, I got that opportunity over four years. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, going back to the, our minds being wired for, for a group, you know, like if we think about the hunter gatherer days, that was life or death stuff. If you got kicked out of the group, that was basically a death sentence for you. Yeah. Like you had to stay within, in those, so those uh, sort of insta judgments, like you just painted with yeah. the, you know, ringing the doorbell and within 30 seconds having, uh, they served a purpose at one point. Right. And they still kind of serve a purpose. Yeah, saved you your know. life. Yeah. But having that contemplative background also being able to be like, okay, that's just an initial judgment based on yeah. very little. <laughs> Who is this person? Right. Yeah. I, in fact, I was just on a, um, uh, a group meeting of sorts. Uh, and the woman that was talking was taught. She said one of the, she didn't say it exactly this way, but this was the essence. One of the best spiritual disciplines she gained in her life was saying, what's your name? And just because everyone has a name. Yeah. And that like, or she did and she didn't, it wasn't even, she said she would say her name first. So my name's, you know, my name's Dorian. What's your name? And she said, anywhere in the world she was, you connected. That was like the the base point that you could connect with anybody. Yeah. And her example was this guy who was living under a bush. And she went up to him and said, Hey, you know, my name, my name's so-and-so. What's your name? You know, and, and they gained from that point, obviously, once again, it wasn't overnight. Right. But right. days and weeks of interacting with each other, they be, you know, they I wouldn't go as far. I don't know if they went as far as made friends. Yeah. She didn't elaborate that deeply, but the way she talked about it, it seemed as though they did. Yeah. Or at least they built a meaningful relationship between them. And they couldn't have more or they couldn't have less in common right. from the outside looking in. Exactly. And you see this over and over, this pattern. It's not a an exception. It, it seems to be the rule, the pattern. What's that? Of Jesus in the four Gospels. Mm. He's, he doesn't hold to an allegiance of his Judaism, uh, religiously or ethnically. He, he doesn't reject it either. He embraces it, in fact. He embraces it. Yeah, he goes to, he goes to the temple for the, for the feasts and all that. But he doesn't have a hardcore allegiance to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and even his nuclear family, he does, you don't hear him say, he does, he's not the poster boy for family values. Well, and he talks uh, junk about his family exactly. sometimes, too. And they talk shit about him. Uh, <laughs> you know, what the hell is it to me, woman? You know, he says that to his own mother. Right. And why do these, why do these texts go out of their way to say that? Because, because that's what the early church was doing, was breaking down those 
the racial, religious, and ethnic backgrounds, economic backgrounds of people, uh, and bringing them together in a in an equal way uh, at the table at the at the what they would call the love feast, what we would call the Lord's table now in, in more Protestant right. vernacular, you know. Yeah. Um, and so they yeah, and that's one of the reasons why they because they shared their uh, the oppression. Mm-hmm. That, that was that they were under and you know and there's one thing empire does not want is the oppressed getting together right. to unionize yeah. uh and etc and talk about that well that they, i mean that's the the 2022 typical meme right the yeah. the the rich elites finding little divisions amongst yep. people so that they don't they don't pay attention to the bigger yeah the bigger stuff going on. Yeah, that's exactly what the culture wars are. It's, yeah. a, it's a red herring. It's a diversion to keep the oppressed fighting with each other so that the oligarchs get away with mm. their stuff. So um, sort of, sh- I mean, it, it, it's kind of transitioning naturally, but so this idea of, um, you know, if, if we're looking at the Christ example, right? He, he embraces his Judaism, but he also critiques it. Right. He, he, uh, you know, the family story, the Jesus family story is an important part for his origin story. But, you know, he also, you know, they talk junk about each other too. Right. Right. And so, sort of shifting to this idea of fanaticism versus faith in um, sort of the life of the group, right? Whether it's a religious group or, um, a nonprofit with a specific uh, connection to a specific cause, right? Yeah. Um, and any other, you know, there's, we could give examples nonstop, but, you know, the, these um, groups of people that are fanatical about what they're doing um, versus uh, a faith-led group um, that's maybe a little bit, um, I don't want to say pliable, but they're, you know, they're willing to take in new information, yeah. uh, if, if things need to shift within, as far as, uh, the, <laughs> they're not so rigid to the mission statement that they're not willing to, right. to, to move, change course slightly if need be. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't know kind of where you would like to go with, with, with that. Yeah, I would, I would start off with the essential for all of us is that what, what are you doing with your pain? Mm. We're all in need of healing of some sort. I think just being born into this world is a traumatic thing. If you want to call that the original sin, okay, that initial trauma of becoming of a someone is yeah. traumatic. So we're all carrying traumas with us. And and in our DNAs too. Yeah. You so carry muscle memory for carrying your our people. Generational. Yeah. Whether, Tra- trauma. Well, there's us. genocide in you. Most people, most of us, like you, you had said, mm-hmm. uh, we have oppressors DNA in us, and we have the oppressed DNA in us, mm-hmm. and they're warring uh, inside of us. And so, faith, for this definition, faith would lead you into those traumas to be healed, mm-hmm. but the process is extremely painful. Whereas fanaticism is, you frantically. Do whatever it takes to avoid that pain, looking at that pain, uh, putting that pain onto others, scapegoating others. Okay. Uh, and, and like we said, either main religions do this, and so do uh, New Age spiritualities, uh, fitness cults. They all, we all do this. Uh, I, I just came across this. Do you mind if I read this? No, no, go ahead. So this is a, a, a guy named Jeff Brown. I'm not real familiar. He's a psychoanalyst. Uh, Say his name again. Jeff Brown. Okay. Uh, and I, and this, this came across uh, my interwebs. And it's a little bit long, if you don't mind. But And, and so it's, it's an easy thing to read because it's talking about they. Okay. So when you hear the they... <laughs> Think of There's yourself. There's that distance, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Think of yourself. You're the they in the, I'm the they in the, in the passage. Uh, and sometimes I'm not the they, but no. yeah. So, so he says, one of the signs that someone is emotionally unwell is when they claim that the dissolution of the ego 
is an enlightened act. In other words, they can meditate their way, pray their way, read Bible verses their way into getting rid of their ego. Uh, or that all feelings are an illusion. So in the Christian circles, they'll say, you know, we, we live by faith, not by feelings. So there's this downplay of feelings. Uh, uh, or that the self isn't real. That, that's popular in Buddhist circles. There, well, we, is, there is no self. There's no... Well, we talked about... I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but recently someone we know, someone telling them that, is that your... What was it? Is that yeah. your... Yeah, is that your self? Is that your realized self or your no self speaking yeah. and that kind of thing? And in and in you know Christian circles, same thing. It's no longer I who lives; it's Christ who lives. So this is Christ speaking, not me. Oh, right. yeah. It's the Bible speaking. It's not my opinion. They'll throw a verse at you and say it's not my opinion; it's the Word of God. And so these these kind of manipulative games that we all play. We're oh, everyone's they. yeah, everyone's. We're the too. they in this in the David. Passage. David and I do it just as yeah well, we do it. Or that all of your personal identifications and stories are false. Or that there are no victims. Or that all must be forgiven. Or that it's, quote-unquote, all good no matter what horror has occurred. Or that they are truly in the now, even though your instincts tell you that something is not quite right. They will not tell you uh, that they need healing. And we don't tell each other that we need healing. Uh, they will tell you that they have transcended all of that. They may well tell you that it is you who needs to heal, which is true. Uh, that you have not seen the light. You're not born again. You haven't received the spirit. Right. Uh, that you are asleep. That you are responsible for everything that has happened to you. That you are lodged in the matrix. Uh, you know, so Kanye West saying uh, slaves. Uh, well, you know, they ridiculous. chose slavery. Yeah, or exactly. Right. Uh, that you're the one lodged in the matrix, that you are physically ill because you haven't done, quote-unquote, the real work, uh, that you have chosen an inauthentic life, that you are not as brave as them. Don't believe them. It's all a lie. Masks and disguises crafted in an effort to keep their pain at bay. Manifestos of self-avoidance. They are not enlightened. They are in pain. If you can convince, If they can convince you they can convince themselves, at least for a moment. But it won't last long because the unresolved pain will soon rise to the surface, longing to be acknowledged and healed. This is the shell game that patriarchal and new age spiritualities have been playing for centuries. If you read their books closely, you will see it. Pages and pages of self-avoidance masquerading as enlightenment. And it is a little more than a veiled cry for help. Because genuine transformation cannot happen independent of the self. It can only happen at the heart of it. The real path of liberation is healing. And so well, that's, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's limited to patriarchal and new age things, right? Like No, it's, it's, it's a human condition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's so that's what we're talking about here. And I forgot what your original. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny. Oh, faith and fanaticism. Yeah. yeah, well, it's funny too, because as you read that, one of the things that popped up, you know, we we're giving examples, but the one that came to mind for me was, was a, <laughs> a recent president that the, the Christians embraced. And if you started pointing out all the things in, in his past that he had done, yeah. it's like, oh, there, and those, with the straight face, well, that was, before he found Christ. Yeah. It's like, wait, what? It's like, I don't... Yeah. And it goes back to that, well, you know, wake up, clean up, show up sort yeah. of thing. It's like, well, no, just because you're... you, Let's say you do have a legitimate spiritual experience, right? Let's right. let's let's start from there. Uh, you probably still need to go back to some of those people you had harmed in your past yeah. and be like, hey, you know, what what can I do to, to, to set the road yeah. right? You know, um, that was one of the things that as you were reading that, like there's like this demarcation, which is true, right? Like if you become enlightened or whatever, or not enlightened, excuse me, born again, right? Yeah, have an enlightening, enlightening experience. Yeah. There is a demarcation there, but that doesn't, your past doesn't disappear. Right. That That's, to me, that's a red flag if someone's like, oh, well, from this point backwards, it's like, well, you, we've all made mistakes. So it's like, well, what have you done 
to go back in those things in the past. So you don't have to try to hide them, yeah. you know, or bury them or whatever else. Yeah. And so it's, 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 it's just that human need that we have, all of us have. It's either one, and there are contrary needs. One is to, I need to stand out from the crowd mm-hmm. and be special and different and unique. Or it's the other, I need to belong to this group at all costs. Uh, and, and, and so the liberation comes with not needing either of those two things. And usually it comes through the rejection and losing those things, losing your uniqueness and then losing your belonging to whatever that, that group is. And that's how the, the, I think the, the self-righteous, uh, mind begins to lose its grip on you. Uh, again, this is a continuous lifelong process, even probably to your deathbed. Well, and it, it's it's interesting too because I think there's a paradox there. As as you start to lose the need to be unique and the need to be accepted, you become accepted and unique. Yeah. In yeah. itself. Yeah, and, and then it was if, always there. And if you attach <laughs> to it, then it's gone. Then, then you got to once again lose that. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's not like it's not a conscious. It's. It is a conscious thing, but it's also not a yeah. conscious thing. It's that crazy thing that the Gospels have Jesus saying. Uh, if you try to hold on to your life, you lose it. Mm. Uh, but if you lose it, you gain an even greater life, you know. And so that's kind of the paradox of the spiritual life, you know. Yeah, and it's, it's um, yeah, I know we've said this multiple times already, but it really truly is a lifelong endeavor. Yeah. And... Uh, at least, at least from my observation, for you know, there's no real way to predict how it's going to unfold. Right. You know, um, even 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 if it even not on the spiritual path, right? Like if you're just living life, no, just life. Yeah. It's it's so unpredictable. Uh, most you know, most like maybe I can predict the next 24 hours, right? Yeah. But yeah. if I try to predict the next 24 months. I'll be so far off. Yeah, exactly. That it, you know, it's an um, illusion. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but our friend uh, Paul West tells a story when he was young, worked in a. Uh, it was it was it wasn't a hospice group, but I think it was a a, a, a nursing home. Okay. And there was a patient there, or a resident there, you know, obviously very elderly, uh, who was just mean and hostile to everyone. Mm. And then all of a sudden, overnight, she changed and became a very uh, kind and compassionate person and then died like two weeks later. Oh, wow. And so my theory is that a lot of us don't become our true selves till the very end. Okay. And, uh, and spirituality's promise is you don't have to wait to the na- of the, for the natural process of life to become your true self, for yeah. your true self to break free from the righteous mind, from your demands on reality that will never be met, uh, or for your failed expectations in life, uh, or your your clinging to the need to belong, or clinging to the need to be different and and special, uh, just that surrender. So spirituality offers that a path of learning surrender uh, a little faster than the natural way of life, which usually comes only at the end of your life mm-hmm. when you know it's the end when i i know oh we <laughs> i might not have ever made this joke on but you know there was a, i don't know probably a year ago i was joking with people like um yeah if you if you're uh well I, I, so now two jokes have come to mind one this this one is probably more if you think you're living the spiritual path go go spend a week with your immediate family. Yeah. And exactly. you'll see you'll Go see teach how, middle school. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine that. <laughs> that's that's so far from uh yeah, I would I would get eat, eaten up in a second. But the other, you know, the other one I would I would joke with you about is like, well, go get and not to you, but about other, you know, if you think your life's so perfect, like go get hooked on opiates. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like go through the process of trying to walk through that. Yeah you know, get on the other side of that. And, and it's, it's amazing what can bring different people. And just for those listening, don't go get hooked on opiates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and if you are hooked on opiates, please, you know, please seek help. There's help out there for sure. 
But it's amazing the wide, what would be the right word? How many different stories there are or catalysts that brought people to their knees to start searching for some kind of different way of life or spiritual way of life, if you will. And you're right. It takes a failure of some sort. And so, yeah, it's like Julian of Norwich said, first comes the fall, then comes redemption, but it's all grace. Both are grace. And so, uh, so if you, if you're on any kind of spiritual path and trying to follow, you know, in our, in our context, following Christ and being a disciple and all that, being a good Christian, whatever language you use, uh, you do get to a point where you think you're better than others and you've mastered this. And so the next grace thing that can happen to you is a moral failure, some sort of failure. And, and you just hope that it's not a failure that would destroy uh, your family and uh, lose all your friends, but it might be right. Like with something like an addiction. Right. Uh, so it would, it would take some sort of uh, break in your demands on reality, some sort of, uh, often it's a tragedy, uh, not necessarily every time, but it would have to take some sort of jolt into your... It seems that there's a high percentage of people that need that, yeah. that outside jolt, if you yeah. will. And so, and you, know, and you don't hope for it. You don't hope for it for others, but life delivers it anyway. That's, yeah. that's the part of being a human being, you know. Uh, well, it goes back to that unpredictability and that sort yeah. of chaotic... Yeah. The and way. I don't believe God sends these things. I, I, right. I'm not in that camp. Uh, well, so, yeah. And it's funny because as, as, as we were talking about this um, many, many years ago, someone, there's a saying in the recovery world that, uh, what is it? Pain is this cornerstone, cornerstone of growth, um, which there's some truth in that. Yeah. What we're talking about that right. outside Joel. And I heard someone share one time that um, they knew uh, – this little old lady that had been sober for years, years and years. And, and um, one of the things that she would pray for as part of her daily prayers is um, help me grow before I need that outside pain. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and sort of each day stripping down like, well, where, you know, what, in what ways can I grow without necessarily yeah. needing that outside jolt? And, um, and for me, like, I wish I could say that, I've stuck with that prayer and it's been all, you know, rainbows and unicorns and good stuff, but that's no, not, no, that's not the truth. No. But I have been able to continue my growth at times when things are, seem stagnant or seem, um, oh, what's the word? Copacetic. Kind of yeah, like yeah. you say, when most of the, you know what I mean? When we yeah. open up most of these things and, uh, and so it is possible. You don't have to wait for the moral failure, for, right, the, right. for the health problem, uh, you know, for the for the breakup, for the loss of job, yeah. whatever, you know, however it might manifest itself. You don't have to wait for those things. No. Um, and they're coming anyway. Exactly. Because you're, you, you're in life. And so, and again, I don't believe that God plans these things and orchestrates these things. And, uh, you know, that's just me. Wait, you're saying God doesn't send his toughest battles for his his toughest warriors or whatever the no, saying is? I yeah, I don't believe that at <laughs> whatever all. Whatever the meme is. I think I think Job was originally written as a comedy. And so uh, well, yeah, and, and it's got to be taken as a Yeah, and I know I've shared that I think Job is is a beautiful uh, illustration of that chaos we were talking about. Yeah. Like you can you can be flying high and winning all the hitting all the numbers on the bingo card and, and the next day it can yeah randomly and, and chaotically shift 180 degrees. Yeah. So um yeah, we're coming up on time. Is there anything right. anything else <clears throat> sort of that uh is lingering out there that that might fit into um you know, I, I think we've talked about some practical things as far as going out speaking you know speaking to people differently you know that are yeah. different than you uh you know sort of work into your prayer life this idea of of growing and changing before the 
catastrophe, but is there anything else that's sort of on your heart and mind? Uh, probably, yeah. Uh, it, what comes to mind, uh, James Finley, one of my teachers, often says the the, the process is, is learning how to be savagely honest with yourself, brutally honest with yourself, and at the same time, eternally compassionate with yourself. Uh, and then, yeah, if you wanted to actually initiate any of this, uh, do a soul search with yourself and ask yourself, uh, which person in your world are you most afraid of? Uh, because you've been told about these people, right? And, and, and go make contact with them in some way, try attempt a conversation and blunder through it and yeah. see see what would happen. Yeah. And so that would definitely put you, or go serve people uh, that, that cannot pay you back in any sort of way uh, and, and see what you learn from that. So, yeah. yeah. Those are good good seeds to plant and see what what sprouts. Because for every everybody, it's going to be a little bit different. Right. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Mr. David Morrison, uh, if you'd like to read uh, his prayers or poems, check out uh, theruined.com. Always in the background as we as we lead out. Uh, thank you, Jacob Nedia, uh, Monk Drums, and uh, we appreciate uh, everyone listening. Have a great day.